0: Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website, overflowdfw.com. I'm going to start this week a six-week series called ABBA. We did a series like this five years ago when we first started as a church when we were meeting on Saturday nights. And um, just really felt like God was kind of resurfacing some of these things and kind of adding to Revelation. How many know that you grow uh, in the Lord? And so hopefully in five years from now, you'll know a lot more about the Lord than you know right now, right? Come on, and your fire will burn deeper. So uh, we just, we kind of wanted to revisit this series and and because we believe it's so core cool, probably something we could pre- we could preach every uh, 2 years and and uh, just some of the themes that we really feel like on this house that God is is emphasizing now but also just part of our identity as a church so we're talking really about the identity of our Heavenly Father. And we will discover really who we are when we discover who He is. Amen? And so it's imperative. Listen, it is imperative. Everybody say imperative. It's imperative. That means it's critical that we have a good understanding of the nature of God, right? That we have a biblical view of who God says He is, right? A lot. Of, you might have a view on who you think God is based upon your experience or based upon how you were raised and all these other reasons. And they might be good experiences. They may be bad experiences. But how many know that if it's just based upon your experience, then it's tainted, that your view is tainted. But if it's rooted in the Word of God, then we know that God has written these things and had these things written about himself so we can learn and grow from the Word of God, uh, understanding who his, his nature is. And so what we're going to be sharing, hopefully kind of sewing through the theme of this series is a story of what most people call the prodigal son. Now I don't call this story the story of the prodigal son. I call it the story of the found son, because he's not a prodigal anymore. Amen? And you're not a prodigal anymore if you've come to Jesus. You were, but you're not anymore. And so however we are grateful from where we're at. So when we read this story of the prodigal son, most you know, probably one of the you know, at least top five stories of the Bible that that people know, even people that are outside of the church. And so when we talk about this story, the first thing that we think of is is obviously redemption. We also think of the nature of the lost, the nature of redemption, the nature of the lost, the nature of the religious and the rival spirit, which would be the older brother, if you're familiar with this story. And fourthly is the nature of Abba, the nature of the father in this story of the found son. And many times we, we kind of, we kind of overlook that, right? We just think about the son. He came home. The father's happy and then the brother's mad. And so let's, let's, let's look at the story and let's discover the nature of God together. Luke chapter 15. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons and the younger son told his father, I want to share in your estate now before you die. How insulting. I want my inheritance now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him to his fields. To feed the pigs. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture, you'll understand that pigs are an unclean animal. So, this is not a good job to have. Even if it paid well, it wasn't a good job uh, for a a Jewish boy to, to work with pigs. In fact, you weren't even supposed to be around pigs or touch them, they were unclean animals. Verse 16 The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one Gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, Self? That's a Josh Brown translation. At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please just take me as one of your hired servants. So he returned to his father. I don't know where this young man's thinking was in this process, but I I do know that he had some perceptions of his father, some incorrect perceptions. In fact, I believe that the reason why he left in the first place is because he had some messed up perceptions of his father. See, our perception... Of our Heavenly Father is absolutely critical. And we've been talking about that a little bit because we receive we pre- we receive how we perceive. So if you think God is angry, then everything that, that bad happens in your life, you're gonna think God did that to you. But if you think God is good and you perceive God is good, then when you see the good things show up in your life, you will perceive that God is at work. See, we become And this is the reason why it's so critical that we perceive God rightly, is we become like what we behold. Uh, Bill Johnson says it this way. He says, we become like that which we worship. We become like the God that we worship. If we think God is angry and we worship that God out of fear, then we will live life out of fear. Then we will treat others angrily. That's why you have this kind of religious spirit on people sometimes, and they're angry. The reason is, it's not because uh, maybe they weren't a nice person at one time, or they don't have good intentions. It's because they think God is angry, and they think God is frustrated. So they're frustrated all the time at people. Why? Because they have a poor perception of who God is. Our perception of God will always dictate our distance. Always. If you think God is 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 doesn't want you around if you're a bother to him that he's frustrated at you you will not want to be close to him but if you realize that he is a good kind heavenly father that loves you that adores you that cherishes you that created you if you will see god that way then you will want to be close to his heart you know we are built in god's likeness but god is not built in ours do you understand this? And so when God came and gave us these commands, right, the first two commands, we're not talking about the commands that Jesus emphasized, but in the law, the law said first, have no other gods before me, right? God said, I I'm, I need to be first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the most important thing in your life. Keep God first. Then he says, right next to that, the second commandment, he says, don't develop, don't create any idols of heaven or of earth. In other words, don't, don't create, don't fashion a God that you can serve. Let me be God. And so what we do oftentimes is we create a God in our minds or in our heart that we are, that is palatable to us. That we want to worship. Sometimes it's 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 inaccurate. Sometimes when we talk about love, we have a poor understanding of love. So we say, well, God's love, so he would never do that, right? And so we paint God in a certain way. How about we let God be God and worship God for who he is, who his word tells us who he is, not based upon my perception, not based upon my experience, not based on how another person treated me. That's the big idol, right? Someone treated me bad, therefore God must not be good. How many know that God wants, the reason why that God commands us to not have other idols is because He wants to be the revealer of Himself. Because He wants to show us how good He is. He wants to show us how powerful He is. He doesn't want us to have a a misconception of who He is. And how many know that, that if we can understand who God is, if we can, if we can really discover the Father's heart, then we will want to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So our perception is so critical beloved, he loves you. And that is really the theme of this. If you could say, well, what would be, what would be the, the theme of the Abba series? He loves you. I mean, that would be the theme. He loves you like a perfect father. Now, let's talk about some poor misconceptions that, that people have. Y'all you, you ready? All right. First of all, a lot of people look at God like he's this cosmic tyrant, Right? You guys know who I'm talking about? Kind of like a Darth Vader figure, right? He's like, if we don't behave, then he's going to use the force. Or he uses the force to kind of get us to the light side. You know, you need to come over here. I'm this cosmic tyrant, and I'm going to control you, right? You'll see, that's the Darth Vader move, right? I'm going to force you. I'm, and then and then, whenever we, we get the revelation like Luke had, Luke had right? I'm your father. No! I don't want a father like this. That is a great fear sometimes. And sometimes I feel like even though we might not say it, sometimes we think, I really don't want God to be my father because he is a cosmic tyrant. And he's all about control. The second uh, misconception that people have about God is they think that he's a liar. Now, these are obviously not all the misconceptions, right? All he does is lie. God doesn't do miracles anymore today, right? Right? Well, then that would make God a liar, right? Because Hebrews says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But somehow we, we think, oh, no, no, not anymore. He, he doesn't do that anymore. He's a liar. He lied about himself. He's not the same. He changed. God doesn't keep his promises. So we think God's a liar. It's a misconception. The, th- the third uh, misconception that people have is that God is like a Santa Claus type figure, right? He's this old, fat, magical guy who wears velvet Breaks into our house once a year and eats our snacks. He knows all about us, right? He knows all about your kids. Kind of creepy. I mean, you, like, get rid of the red suit and the, and the white beard and stuff. Like, he's creepy. I mean, I really don't want that guy in my house. Especially eating my cookies. It's like, no, not leaving anything. You're not welcome here. All right. But they kind of view God like he's, he, he, he's somebody who does something for them once a year. He's keeping a list. He's checking it twice. And if you're good enough, if you behave, then you'll get what's on the list. But he knows and he's watching. Some view God like he's a cosmic cop. Right? Oh, he's trying to bust us. What are you doing wrong today? I want to make sure you behave correctly today. Listen, beloved, don't don't, don't mistake, God does care about your behavior. He does care about your behavior. But he knows that if you will belong, you will behave better. But he does care about your behavior. Not so much because it changes his affections towards you, but it does change your affections towards him. So behavior is important, but he is not always trying to bust you and, here, let me tell you what you've done wrong today. Well, the so Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he's just like, he's like, you're bad, you're misbehaving. You are listening to, that is not the Holy Spirit. If it's condemnation, that is not the Holy Spirit. That is the devil. And another way that people look at God is like he's this cosmic game show host, right? He's like, let's make a deal, yeah. right? And, and we'll kind of fashion him in a way that says, hey, if, if you, I'll do this if you do that, right? Let's make a deal. Let's, let's work it out. Here, God, if you answer these prayers, I'll serve you. And when he doesn't? So these are some messed up misconceptions. And can you see how it will control the way that we live? I believe this son had some misconceptions. I don't know what they were, but I believe that the fact that he left in the first place showed that he misconceived who his father was. But also the way that he talks about how he's going to go back. I'll go back to dad, and I'll just be a slave. I'll live in the slave's quarters. I'll I'll live out back in a shed somewhere. He, my father's good. He's good to his slaves. So So I'll go back. He's merciful. He's a merciful man. He's a good old boy. So I know that if I go back, at least I'll have a hot meal every night. At least I'll have a job that pays a decent wage. So that's what I'll do. I'll go back. But it says this in verse 15. And while he was still a long way off. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. Embraced him and kissed him. These five things that the father does sees him coming, filled with love and compassion, runs to his son, embraces him, and kisses him. And his his son says, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me tell you what the father doesn't do. He doesn't go, you have been so, I gave you that money and you went out, and you wasted that money. You need to learn a lesson, son. So what I'm going to do is for the next six months is I'm going to put you out over the outhouse, and I'm going to let you serve the pigs here for a little bit longer so you can see how bad it really is, and and then we can talk about your situation. We believe that that's how God is, but that's not how the Father is. He Extends these five things to the son. See, the son The son knew his father was merciful, man. He knew he was good. And he went seeking that mercy. That mercy that would just let him eat the scraps. However, he went seeking mercy, but he found grace. He found grace. He didn't find a father that would just allow him and permit him to come in. He found a father that was running to him, willing to embrace him, willing to bring him in, willing to be affectionate. He went seeking mercy but found grace. My father is a merciful man. No, your father is a gracious man. Five is the number of grace. We see this when we talk about grace. What does grace look like? Grace looks like Jesus. Jesus is grace personified. John chapter 1, verse 16. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another, or we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. The list, the commands were given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace is the man Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Did you know that Jesus revealed, this? Is in John chapter 14, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the series, but Jesus says this, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus come to, came to show the world what God the Father looks like. What does God the Father look like? He looks like Jesus. He looks like grace. Let's talk about the father's nature. First of all, the father sees. See, God sees. He sees where you're at. He sees where you've been. Come on, he knows knows every secret. And he knows every sin. Now this father, I'm sure, had heard the rumors of his son. Hey, you're the dad of that boy that got all that money and went and wasted it on wild living and on prostitutes and drugs and burned it all away. And then when the famine come, he didn't have anything. And nobody would help him out. You're that, Dad. I'm sure there was a potential for the father to be shamed. But the father longed for the son. The father saw. He knows everything. How many know that our heavenly father is omniscient? He knows all. He sees all. He sees you. He is aware. He knows the good, he knows the bad, and he knows the ugly. He knows all of it. He knows the core. He knows those rotten desires. This is part of the reason why grace is so good. Is because he knows he knows the worst things that I've thought. The worst things that I've felt. He knows all. It says in Proverbs 15 verse 3, "The eyes of the Lord are everywhere." Keeping watch on the wicked and the good. So God is on watch. He sees everything. Nothing gets by you. can't sneak past what God sees. He's aware of your secrets and sin, yet he does not despise you. Job 36.5 says, God is mighty, but he does not despise men. He is mighty and firm. And his purpose. Listen, God is mighty. He is firm. He knows all. He sees all. He sees wicked. But can I cannot tell you today? He sees all that. But he's still sitting on the porch going, man, I know, I know they wasted it all. I know he's been living wild. I know that he wounded me, that he was unloyal. My heart hurts. But I'm just ready for him to come home. I know all. I see all. But I do not despise my son. I want Him. I want Him. Beloved, no matter what you've done, no matter what you thought, your Father still wants you. He sees all, but He still wants you. This is grace. You know, one of my favorite passages in Scriptures, when Adam fell in the garden... You've heard me, most of you have heard me talk about this before at Adam. Adam falls, man, He blows it. I mean, he screwed it up for all of us. Did he not? I mean, he really I mean, he really like hit the nuke button, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he really screwed everything up. He brought sin on the earth. There was no sin. Adam did it. He blew it. I mean, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be like, my first meeting is going to be with Adam. Well, you had everything you needed and you chose to sin. You brought sin. To mankind. What were you thinking? But guess what God didn't do? That Adam, I tell you what. I guess I'll just have to send Jesus frustrated about it. Actually, if you study the scriptures, you'll see that it was God's pleasure to give Jesus for us. So Adam sins, and what does God do? Well, you're on your own now, son. You've done screwed up royally. I created this beautiful earth, put you in charge of it, and you messed everything up. Way to go. High fives all around. No. God, do- what does he do? He shows up in the garden looking for the one who sinned, looking for the one who blew it all. Can I tell you, beloved, God is looking. He's longing for you. He still wants you. He still wants you. Through the rejection. Come on. Through the stubbornness. He still wants you. And you are not too far gone. You are not too far gone. He wants you. He still wants you. So he sees The second thing about our Heavenly Father is that He cares. I love how it says that when He sees Him, it says that He was filled, He was motivated with love and compassion. Did you know that your Heavenly Father cares? He cares about the things that you care about. We do prayer requests and and things at our community group on Wednesday nights. All of our groups do this. We, we get together and we pray for one another's needs. It's important for you to do that. And so sometimes a lot of people will get a little bashful and they'll go, well, I got a little one. But the fact that you would mention it, that you have a prayer request, is an indicator that it's kind of a big deal to you, even though it might not be a big deal to everybody else in the room. But can I tell you today that if it's a big deal to you, then it's a big deal to God. Because he cares for you, beloved. Beloved. You know, you can get a little sticker in between your paws that might irritate you, and your heavenly Father wants to come, and he just wants to deal with that. It might might not be a big deal to you, and maybe nobody else can see it, but he sees. He knows your struggle. Listen, he knows your sins and secrets, but he also knows your struggles. He knows the contention of your heart. He knows your lack, and he is tender towards you. We serve a tender, heavenly Father. He's not angry and fueled with frustration. He is tender. He cares. I love First Peter 5, 7. Give all your worries and cares to God. Well, isn't worry a sin? Yep. Give all your worries and fears to God. Just start trusting him again because he cares for you. God cares for you. I know God is love, and we, we kind of use that vernacular all the time, but we say it so many times that we don't understand the weight that this God that created the heavens and the earth, come on, the one who dreamed it all, dreams of you, thinks of you, is obsessed with you, it's in love with you, that desires for you to be well, who desires for your well-being. Psalm 145 verse 8 and 8 through 9 says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. What is unfailing love? It's love that never fails. It's love that never stops. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. He cares. So the father sees, the father cares, the father runs. See, God is relentlessly pursuing us. Relentlessly pursuing us. And it, it doesn't stop when he gets a hold of us either. He's still pursuing us. He's pursuing the hidden, distant places. He's he's just pursuing. He's just a pursuer. It's part of his nature. So the son was reluctant in his return, right? Well, maybe I'll uh, go to the father and I'll maybe he'll let me be a slave reluctant in his return, but the father was relentless as he ran out to meet him. You got to understand something. It's very inappropriate. It was a a breach of an elderly Jewish man's dignity to run. It was kind of shady. Don't run. Very undignified for an older Jewish man to do that. Given the normal garb, he would have to, you know, take his robe and kind of tuck it in his dopper looking thing, whatever they had in those days. They had belt. He had to tuck that thing in there, that big old clunky robe, hock it up a little bit, show a little leg that hadn't got any sun in a couple of years, and run. Look foolish as an older Jewish man. But beloved, he chose his desire over his dignity when he pursued you. He doesn't care how foolish it looked. He doesn't care how reckless it looked. He's not, he's not concerned that someone might take it too far. <laughs> he is running. He is after you, relentlessly, unfailing, unhindered, unyielding pursuit of us running yeah. towards us. He's just waiting for us to come to our senses and take that first step home. And he will come. He will come. Saga Solomon says this about this love. It says, for love is as strong as death. That's pretty strong. That's pretty permanent. It's jealousy. Oh, God's jealous? He's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire. Like a mighty flame, many waters cannot quench this love. Rivers cannot wash it away. Listen, nothing... Can damper the love of God for you. Will you get this beloved? Nothing will change the way God feels about you. Nothing. Nothing. No sin. No crime. No rejection. Nothing will change his heart towards you. He is a pursuer. And Jesus. Listen. Jesus is the Father's pursuit. I want I want to see God running. Jesus is. God running. Yeah. Jesus said, "I have come to I've come to seek and to save the lost." I'm looking for you. I'm after you. I'm, you're trying to hide. That's Some of you, you've been running for God for so long. You've been kind of putting God on the back burner, and you're like, man, why is it every time I show up at Overflow, the Lord is tugging me? Because the Lord is getting in every little nick and cranny of your life. That's the reason why every time you turn around, you're running into somebody else It's reminding you of how good God is. It's because he is after you, and he will not give up. He won't relent. He's seeking To save the lost. The father runs. The father sees. The father cares. The father runs. The father embraces. Now this boy was dirty. Stinky. I mean he didn't just smell like pigs. Pigs stink. You want to know why pigs stink? You want to know why pigs are unclean? Because pigs poop and eat in the same place. They probably get a little poop in their food. Gross. Pigs stink. Pigs are unclean. For the father to even touch his son, who had been living with pigs, would make him unclean. So what does the father do? Oh, son, I'm so glad you're home. Why don't you go out? Out back and take a shower. Go wash yourself off with a garden hose and we can talk a little bit. We can sit down and work out the negotiations of you coming home. No, that's not what he does. He embraces the sun. He don't wait for you to get cleaned up. He don't wait for you to have all the answers get it all figured out, or deal with the sin in your life. No, that's why he sent Jesus, to deal with all of your mess. All he wants is you to just rest in his embrace. I love Romans chapter 5. It's a a, a, verse 6 through 8. It's a favorite here at Overflow, but I want to read it this morning from the Passion Translation. It says, for when the time is right... The anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now, who of us would dare die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. But God, with Christ, God in the flesh, proved... God's the heavenly father's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly but God demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners Christ came and Christ died he saw your worth and he's not asking you to take a shower and get cleaned up he's just asking you to come to your senses and come on home son Come on home, daughter. Number five. The father lavishes love. It says this, that he ran to him. Come on. He saw him. He ran to him. He embraced him. He was filled with love and compassion. And then it says he kissed him. One translation says it this way. It says that he fell on his neck. That stinky boy. That unloyal, disobedient, sinful, wasteful, stinky boy. He hugs him and falls on his neck. Kisses him. If you'll study that a little bit in the Greek, it's, it's not just a little, it's a kiss after kiss after kiss. It's like what I would do to my son if he was gone a long time. And I just hug him and I kiss him and I kiss his face and I kiss his neck. Beloved, this is the heart of the father towards his kids when we will just welcome His embrace, and we will just allow him to bring us in. He will fall on us and love on us. Our God is a lavisher. We talk about God is love. I want you to understand, God likes to pour his love on you. He wants to pour, he wants to love on you. Love on you, love on you, love on you. I have this thing that I do with my kids when they're a little bit grumpy. My first tendency is to spank their butt. My second tendency is to get the grumpies off. And sometimes I re- use my hand and I yell you know, tickling them is what I'm doing. I'm like, let's get the grumpies out. And they kind of start giggling. And sometimes I can turn that frown upside down and get them. And sometimes I tell them, the grumpies are real deep, so I have to go in. And I'll start kissing their belly and their neck and their face. and They're laughing and giggling. What am I doing? I'm dealing with the grumpies. I'm not going to beat the grumpies out of them. I'm going to love the grumpies out of them. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love, and I've drawn you with loving kindness. That word everlasting means perpetual love it means it will go on for on and on forever. On and on and on. See, God loves you and He loves you and He loves you and He loves you. and He loves you. He's going to love you tomorrow. He's going to love you when you screw up. He's going to love you when you do well. He's going to love you when you're bad. And He's going to go on and on and on. He's going to love you and He's going to love you and He's going to love you and He's never going to stop loving you forever. He's going to be saying, I love you. 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 This is the words of your heavenly Father, First John 3, 1 says, How great is the love of the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Galatians 4. When just the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject under the law or to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves under the law. And you understand the law is a system that if you do right, you are right; if you do wrong, you are wrong. God sent him to buy freedom for those of us who are under the system of the law, so he could adopt us. He wanted to bring you from system to sonship, because. We are his children. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts prompting us to call out Abba Father. Abba Father. Now you're no longer a slave but God's own child and since you are his slave God has made you also his heirs. Well you were already an heir and you blew your inheritance. Guess what? There's a new inheritance. See the thing is About this story is you've got to understand. Our father won't welcome you back as a slave. He'll only welcome you back as a son. He'll only welcome you back as a daughter. The only way, listen, the only way you're getting back in right relationship with God is to be part of the family. That word abo, it's only used three times in the New Testament. It's an Aramaic word. That slaves and servants and people that were unfamiliar with the Father couldn't use this kind of language. They couldn't say ah, oh, but it was kind of like frowned upon. And most most of the time we refer to God the Father as the Father. And that's frowned, that's great. It's absolutely who he is. It's a it's a great description. He is the Father. He absolutely is. Jesus is the Lord. Absolutely he is. But did you know what else? He's also my father. He's not just the father. He's he's my father because he, he brought me into his family. And not only do we have this kind of formal word for the father, because a slave might say the father, but a son says, Daddy. A son says, Abba. It's this beautiful title that he's given us. I don't call my earthly dad. I call him dad. I don't call him Abba. But I call my heavenly father Abba because it's a language that he gave us to say, you know what, we are connected. It indicates absolute trust. It's the same way as whenever your kids... go, Daddy? When my kids are in need, they don't go, Father? Father? Nah. I'm the father of the house, but they know me as Daddy. When they need something, they say, Daddy. When they want me close, they say, Daddy. They, we leave all the formalities at the door. And we just say, Daddy. It's one of the, as an earthly father, and you guys know this, those of you that are dads, this is one of the greatest things that we ever hear from our kids. Daddy. Because it's saying, I need you. I need your attention. I need your affection. Daddy. James 4, 7 says this, if we will draw near to God, if we will come to our senses and head home, he will draw near to us. If we will draw near to him, he will draw near to us.